Now, beloved listeners, if you think offal's awful, please pay close attention to our next story. Tripe, tongue, trotters, hearts, livers and uh, lambs fry. Billions of people around the world eat offal in its uh, various shapes, colours and sizes without a second thought. Indeed, in many cultures, these parts of the animal are prized. So why is it then that offal has fallen so out of favour here in Australia, particularly amongst uh, Anglo-Australians? Are we uh, particularly snobby and squeamish or have, uh, have we simply forgotten the recipes and techniques of the past? I was raised on a dirt-poor farm outside Melbourne and my grandmother used to cook tripe all the time and I thought it was terrific. Anyway, Sheila Nockfam is a, an independent uh, writer, editor and publisher and she's been thinking about her relationship with offal for some time and she reckons uh, broader Australia can again uh, draw inspiration from its uh, multicultural communities and uh, she joins me now uh, to discuss matters having just published a piece in Overland called The Whole Animal. What was your experience eating offal growing up, Sheila? Well, hi, Philip. Um, well, yes, I um, grew up eating a lot of waffle um, just as part of, uh, I guess, Vietnamese diet. My parents came to Australia as resettled refugees from Vietnam. And so a big part of that inheritance is really about the food. Um, and I think many listeners would nowadays be very familiar with some aspects of Vietnamese cuisine, um, but not, might, might not know a lot about the everyday food, though, that we um, would eat. Like my mum, for example, on a weeknight, it was very common for us to eat like sautéed gizzards, for example, with rice and vegetables. And, you know, things like chicken hearts and sliced liver with noodles, like that, that was very common um, fare for me growing up. Pigs cubes? Tell me about those. Oh, yeah. Pig's blood is very common. Um, so if anyone's ever ordered like congee in a, in a restaurant, um, yeah, pig's blood often comes with it. And, um, yeah, and then if you go now to like a you know typical like um, East Asian supermarket, you will often see that it's for sale usually like in a plastic tray and um, it's basically like congealed blood. <laughs> and the texture, um, the texture is uh, an acquired taste. I must say it, I didn't particularly love it growing up, um, but, I, you know, I would eat it and I was always forced to eat it because, you know, it's, I guess it's rich in iron and my dad was forever lecturing me about the nutritional value of waffle and, and blood and all the bits of the animal, but – I guess I never really understood that um, this was like stigmatized anyway, like or associated with poverty. Like for us, it was just part of the the cuisine. But it was, in fact, also associated with poverty, wasn't it, Shirley? Well, I think though. I mean, I'm thinking about this. I think it's more that the the kind of Vietnamese diet. I guess you know what people might colloquially refer to as like is peasant food, because really it sort of reflects um, a deeply kind of agrarian tradition of how food is, um, you know. Are harvested and 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 meat is used quite sparingly too in everyday food. Like it's very well seasoned. Um, they're similar to how Italians might um, you know eat offal and meat as well. And then on special occasions, then the meat is very abundant. And then you might have like different kinds of cuts then. But on an everyday basis, um, yeah, you're eating. I guess the way p um, people who didn't have much, um, you know, centuries ago, but then they they made a cuisine out of it and it's continued to this day. So I, I don't know that. You know, it's necessarily um, overtly associated with poverty now, but certainly there is that um, connection. 
I'm having a waffle about offal with uh, Sheila, and uh, some of the most famous Vietnamese dishes are made with offal, aren't they? Tell me about the best known. Well, I mean, people, I think, would be very fam- familiar these days with pho, um, you know, so that's like, you know, looking at chicken or the beef version, but let's say with the beef one's a classic one. And um, and that dish actually, although it's a classic dish, it's not the not one of the older ones. It really came about partly from the French colonisation of Vietnam as well and the introduction of beef. Um, but the, if you go to a pho restaurant now and order like pho duck beef, which is the kind of pho with the lot. That's when you'll get the, um, you know, the the tripe and the other bits as well that come with it, and then all the um, tendon, and so those extra bits um, really add a lot of texture and flavour to the dish as well. And so, um, you know, I think pho is actually consumed very commonly in Australia nowadays, but people might not know, um, or maybe they do eat it actually, and they don't realise that they're eating offal. Even <laughs> that's another thought I had um, when I was thinking about that. Well, we were talking about national dishes the other day and of course uh, Australia might make a claim for the meat pie and if they do they'd be eating a bit of offal wouldn't they? Well I think so I mean growing up too you know I mean I I was born and raised in Australia so I've eaten a lot of meat pies in my life as well but there's often been a lot of um, kind of jokes around it like oh you don't know what's in the pie Um, and I was thinking well what's wrong actually with adding a bit of offal to the the meat pie anyway because a gravy and that, like, that's the flavour that you're eating um, half the time in a meat pie anyway. Um, but, I mean, but even things like, um, you know, the bun meat, the Vietnamese pork roll, I mean, I've seen that sold all across Australia in regional towns and that as well. And then that involves, you know, pate, obviously, which is made of liver. So maybe Australians are eating some of these elements, but they're not necessarily kind of thinking of it overtly. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, I guess my argument that um, the piece I wrote in Overland is really about how we should be adopting um, from across food traditions that we have here now. And, of course, it's uh, all across the planet, isn't it? It's in China, Japan, Italy, France, and very much in the Middle East. Yeah, everywhere. I mean, I've travelled widely and, you know, I've, I've encountered it all over the world. And I think, like, one thing that I'm really grateful for, actually, um, having grown up eating offal, is that it made me very, you know, comfortable with eating food in different places. Like, for the most part, like, I don't feel so alienated from it at all um, and not frightened of eating different kinds of food. But I think part of that, um, because of the international market, that's why Australia has become one of the world's biggest exporters of offal because we do have, obviously, people here in Australia do eat it to some extent, but an awful lot of it actually gets shipped overseas and sold to other markets. I'm told, well, I learned from you that you visited a Lebanese butchery in Sydney. What did you discover there? Oh, yeah, there's a Lebanese butcher not far from um, where I live. And just one day I was there and I just admired in his fridge, like this, um, I think it was a large um, piece of lung or something. And, um, yeah, I just started chatting to him about, well, you know, do you eat offal? And he, well, he said he loved it, except it's something now that older generations cook. So that even his kids, and, you know, he's a butcher, even his six kids, he said, didn't really eat offal. And suddenly they weren't passing on to their next generation. So I guess it reflects that even even cultures where there's a – a uh, strong tradition of eating offal, even that sort of, I guess, falling um, out of favour with you know, subsequent generations. I'm talking to Sheila Nockfam and you're now going to tell me why Why did offal fall out of favour amongst Anglo-Australians? Why and when? I mean, I, I can't answer this definitively and someone listening may have a better answer than me around this, but I mean, when I was kind of doing some research into this, um, I, I believe that until the 70s, actually, it was quite commonplace for Australians, like Anglo-Australians, to eat offal. And um, I don't know if you recall, there's a, um, there was a cafe, it was called the Oceanic um, in Surrey Hills, 
and you know it closed in 2014 for good but even up until then it was all still it was still serving awful i believe um and you know very cheap food for people um but the other source of information that i turned to was um a classic cookbook um called nmaa cooks um and that was now issued with what by what is now known as the australian breastfeeding association and there's a whole section in there which is basically um awful recipes and looking through it it's um really interesting recipes you know kidneys in red wine kidneys in sour cream braised tongue um you know lamb's fry and bacon so it sounds really delicious actually i, I don't think i've actually ever eaten lamb's fry myself because we don't eat um, much lamb in vietnamese cuisine um but looking at these recipes obviously people did used to cook and eat with them until until the 70s um and i mean i suppose there's lots of reasons why it's fallen out of favor i suppose there's that stigma um people have suggested to me too since in the last couple of weeks since i published this piece that it has a lot to do with supermarket distribution as well um you know dare i say maybe it's a victim of capitalism in that um it's not so easily um packaged um nicely and and sold in supermarkets and so i think it's very possible now that there's a couple of generations of australians who haven't really even eaten much offal in an overt way um they never see it sold in supermarkets and so it's not even necessarily like um about taste or 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 stigma but just people have just no exposure to offal as soon as i introduced the story tonight i could feel listeners right across the country feeling very squeamish why why are we so squeamish about offal I don't know, that's a good question, Philip, because I actually don't feel that squeamishness myself. So I'm curious about why many people feel so squeamish about it. And I guess that's why the answer for me is something about the exposure. Like I grew up, it was very normalized. Like, you know, for example, going to Yamcha, the, the, probably the key dishes for my family were like things like chicken feet um, and tendon um, and lung and, you know, stomach and that. And so I never knew that that was – people might find that squeamish or gross until I started eating yum cha as an adult with friends. And those dishes, people would not go near with a barge pole. And so um, I'm not sure why people are so squeamish about it, but I, I think it's because they're just that lack of exposure. And maybe it wasn't cooked well as well It's another thought I've had, that even people who did grow up eating offal, it wasn't cooked in a delicious way and so people didn't find it very tasty. <laughs> You know, I've I've always suspected that most people, when they go to a supermarket and buy that meat presented in such a sanitised, plasticised way, that the last thing they're thinking about is meat coming from dead animals. They're, you know, they sort of avoid the issue entirely. Oh, I agree. And, you know, I think that there, that's something to be said about that. I think the way that meat is bought through supermarkets and packaged is so distancing for the consumer, I guess, from where it comes from. Like, you know, my mother, just to go back to um, um, talking about how I grew up, you know, I don't think my mum has ever really bought much meat at all from a Woolies or a Coles. Like, I think she basically buys it from a butcher almost every week. So she has relationships with butchers. And so when you have those kinds of relationships, like, you're so much closer to the source um, and then for, and the other thing is like we never um you know slaughtered a pig at home, but certainly I've seen my duck you know kill a chicken before at least um maybe even a few chickens um ducks as well on our balcony in our suburban home. So I think there's a very strong sense of knowing where the food comes from. Sheila, I've got to ask you this: Have you ever in your travels, searching out awful stories here and there, have you ever been confronted with an awful that you thought was awful? <laughs> Well, yes, but it was by accident. Like I remember one time, oh gosh, it was probably close to 20 years by now, I was in Barcelona and, um, you know, I thought, well, how, what could possibly go wrong if you order something on the menu that you didn't know what it was exactly and I'm happy to take a punt. 
So I ordered a dish and then out comes like basically like an awful stew, like a very rich, oily you know, um, dish. And I'm, I'm assuming it's the kind of dish that old Catalonian men must love um, eating with bread or something. And, yeah, I think I finished maybe about half of it, um, but then I had to just like concede defeat. Like I, I could not finish it. It was too much. On one side of my family I've got Scottish heritage and uh, I must say on my first visit to Scotland I was I found the haggis off putting. Oh, really? I loved it, actually. So this is one of those things where when I went to, you know, you hear about haggis growing up and people would, you know, kind of uh, have a funny reaction to it. But then when I got to Scotland and I ate it, I thought, this is nothing. <laughs> Maybe because I'd grown up eating much stronger tasting um, bits of the animal. I found often, um, I found um, haggis really delicious, actually. Um, neeps and taddies, I remember, it was really delicious. Now, we know it takes a lot of time, resources and energy to produce meat. You uh, need about... Uh, 10 kilograms of cereal to produce one kilo of beef, in many ways eating the whole animal is a greener approach to meat, isn't it? Yes, and I mean, yeah, of course there's a broader, you know, question around the ethics of eating meat and also just the resources required, as you point out. Um, And I think, though, but part of that discussion has to be around offal because, you know, people buying more organic free-range meat, it's not necessarily the solution that we're um, that's going to solve, you know, our environmental crisis. But I certainly like, since we are eating meat, um, you know, and I do eat meat, even though obviously I do think about the ethics of that. Um, but I think it's more ethical to eat less meat, but and also eat every part of the animal. Um, and, and in fact, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I, how I grew up eating, and I look back, there's a lot of wisdom in that approach too. And I think that um, while we're kind of, um, you know, struggling with this <laughs> environmental crisis, that's not going to go away any time soon. I think we should really consider questions of awful seriously. As, when I introduced you, I could, as I said, I could feel listeners rushing off in all directions. Now they're coming back. They're converted. They're going to see awful as sort of hip, and uh, you've you've done a, you've been a great advocate for it. So thanks for that. I've been talking to Sheila Nockfam, an independent uh, writer, editor, and publisher, and you can read her piece on awful in. The Overland Online, and I must say, Overland is an ancient left-wing literary journal in Australia with which I have a long and proud association. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.